Hey, everybody. Welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Damien Pizzanti. Usually at this point, Katie introduces herself, but like she said last week, she's out of town. She's off at a reporter's education conference in Washington, D.C. So this week, I am the one and only Colombian reporter leading the show. Nonetheless, we got some really good content for you guys. We're going to start off with Lauren Dake, and she's going to sit down with a local politician to give us an Olympia update and give you an idea of what's going on up there right now with the hashing out of the budget and the education budget and, um, you know, just all those good things that we need to keep our state government rolling. And then the whole show is actually going to have an education tinge to it. So we're going to be talking. Then we're going to bring you guys the voices of several local uh, graduating seniors. I don't know about you guys, but um, every now and then I think back onto where I was when I was 18 and the things I was thinking about. I don't think I have to tell you that is a pretty unique time in your life. Hi, I'm Lauren Dake, the state politics reporter with a Columbian, and we're here with an episode of Olympia Update, where we talk to our local delegation to find out what is happening in the state house. The governor recently called lawmakers back to Olympia for a second special session, which is probably not a surprise to very many people. And they're not very special anymore. <laughs> they're not. They are not very they're special. Not very special anymore. <laughs> the very regular second se- session. Uh, what most lawmakers head back during this time, and they resume their day lives and their jobs, except for a handful of key negotiators who still travel up to Olympia every day, um, pretty much every day during the week to negotiate. And one of those lawmakers is Representative Paul Harris, a Republican who represents Vancouver, who's here with me now. So, Paul, thanks for being here. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for the invite. One of the main sticking points in this session, which, again, was not surprising, is the McCleary case, the school funding case where the state Supreme Court ruled in 2012 that the legislature was not adequately funding the state's public schools. This is a session where lawmakers are set out to change that and adequately fund those schools. You are now in the midst of those negotiations. How is it going? It's going really well, actually. We have, uh, I think a lot of people were upset we went into special session, but, you know, as we've dealt with McCleary and, um, It's just a complicated and difficult situation, and it's something that, honestly, during regular session, we couldn't get handled, and it's just very time-consuming. We've been up there for six or seven weeks, spending full time on it, and I think we're just now about to the point where we, I think we have some agreements on some some ideas, uh, and uh, I think we should be done in just a couple weeks, yeah. It's going to be quite a change for the state on how we fund education. A lot of these negotiations have been happening behind closed doors, mm-hmm. so it can be difficult for the public um, and the press to have a really good sense of what is being discussed. But some of the things that we've heard throughout the process or before the second special session was we knew that Democrats were at one point rooting for a capital gains tax, and we knew that at one point Republicans were talking about raising property tax values, especially in some of the richer areas like Seattle and Bellevue. What can you tell us, Nat, about where the negotiations are at now, though? What what are the remaining sticking points, or have you reached consensus on anything? I think we've uh, we've reached consensus on a lot, a lot of of policy and and what we're going to do and how we're going to achieve certain things. I think the two issues you just brought up, the levies and, and how we fund it, are probably the two things that we have started to discuss in the last about a week and a half. Uh, and I think we're really close on making an agreement on that. I think the good news out of all this is that both parties, both the House, both Republicans and the Democrats on both sides, both put more money into education in their original plans. And so um, there's going to be a lot more money spent in education. I mean, uh, the, the Senate R's put $7.9 billion over four years more into education, and the House D's put $7.2 billion more into education over four years. So we're going to spend somewhere between $7.2 and $7.9 billion more dollars into education in a four-year budget. Wow. And can you tell us where all that extra revenue is going to be coming from? Where it's going to come from, I, I'm honestly, that I am not positive yet. I think the issues you brought up are probably where there will be, either it will be a, in my mind, either a levy swap of some sort 
or it will be tax increases of some sort. But I think that these next two weeks, that will be the final discussion that will take place on, on how we're going to fund it. But we will fund it. It will be, and I believe it will be fair. And um, the children in the state of Washington will get a better education. It's interesting because this has been such a long process. Like mm -hmm. I said earlier, the court initially ruled on this in 2012, and almost every legislative session since then, it's sort of been looming over the session. You know, how we're going to fix McCleary, and lawmakers have chipped away at it and, you know, made some progress. Once this session is over, you, are you confident that schools will be at it? Quickly funded in a sustainable manner, and this won't be a reoccurring issue that the legislature has to tackle. I'm very confident. I think I think one of the one of the issues that you brought up at the very end is what's interesting is we we don't want to set our, ourselves up for another McClary too. We could say, and so there's lots of fixes that we could do that would be short-term fixes, or if you don't look long-term, that could create a long-term problem. And I think that's been part of the difficult discussion the last six to eight weeks that we've been into these negotiations, we want to make sure that the, that the fix that we do is not just a temporary fix, but something that can go and can sustain itself long term. And that we as those of us that are in the legislature uh, don't want to see handled again in our time. <laughs> so we want to make sure that we do it right. And, and I think that's really, I think one of the reasons it's taken so long, there's lots of little tweaks that we could do that would, would have simplified this and made it go away easily. But uh, I think this is, we need to look at this long term and make sure that we have a sustainable program for the children in the future. I think it's really important to look at what the court said, though, too. Um, the court didn't say that we didn't have the money in the system. The court said that there were certain areas in the state, specifically that our levies were being used for basic education. And so the idea is, one, is how do we get that money and does it, how does it become state money? And how do we get the areas that haven't passed levies or where there is not parity with other areas as far as education, that we get that. So um, that's been a, a long discussion to making sure that we have uh, equal education throughout the entire state. So let's start with a first, your first point. How do you get take the money that is being used from local levies to fund what is considered basic education and get that back into the state revenue so that it could be applied equally across the state? Like, what, are, what are the solutions being discussed there? Well, I think the solution, one of the solutions that we that we had, and the the House Republicans um, never formally came out with our entire plan. We did present the plan uh, into the negotiation team, and it's been used quite a bit. To be honest with you, it's influenced the plan quite a bit. The House Republicans actually did a levy swap, and so that's something that I, I like. It it will help get some of the money, literally taking local levy dollars and swapping it into state dollars, and then letting, if they want to, go out for another levy, uh, and that's one way. That, to me, is the most practical way. Um, I don't know that we're going to go that way yet, to be honest with you, but that's what I'm advocating for, realizing that there's lots of areas in eastern Washington that have never passed a levy. So a lot of Republican areas, Republican districts, in fact, the vast majority of them have not passed a levy. And so you, I have nothing to swap out. So their property taxes would go up by whatever amount we swap out throughout the entire state because it would be a swap that would take place everywhere in the state. So it would be equal. Um, don't know if I'm going to win that fight, but that's that's the area that I would like to look at. What what about that plan do you think is a good idea? What Why do you like that idea? Well, I like that because it, it, it gets at those areas that have already levied a lot, a lot that they're taking that money and using it for general funds without increasing their levy, we can actually take that money and then put it into state dollars. It makes it really simple. And, and so it, it holds their it holds their tax rate down. And yet we we can look at the court and say no longer is that local levy dollars being used, but those are state dollars now that we have made. And we've note so noted that we were basically actually backfilling with local levies paying for basic education, which causes a disparity throughout the state. It, it only makes sense that if you can pass a large levy, that perhaps you could offer a basic education program that might be better than some other area. That is not a fair system. And that's really what we're trying to get at. We want to make sure that the, that the kid 
in eastern Washington has the same opportunities as a kid in Bellevue right. or a kid in Vancouver where we passed our levies. Right. So, yeah, we want to make sure that we get rid of the disparity. And so districts like you mentioned, Vancouver and Evergreen, who um, th those districts often pass levies and then use that money to and supplement and battleground hasn't has had oh, it difficult, but they just recently passed. But so even in our own local areas, there's areas that have easily passed bonds and levies and some that haven't. And so we want to make sure that everyone in Clark County has an equal education and has equal opportunities. And to do that, just to kind of boil it down for people who might not be totally familiar with the levy swap idea. So these local districts are passing these levies, increasing their school funding, and then they're using them to, to fund what the court has deemed basic education, Absolutely. to pay teacher salaries, to do different, to, to contribute to the school in a way that the court has said is actually the state's responsibility, not the local district's Absolutely. responsibility. Those levies should be used for enrichment purposes only or for separate contracts for sports or whatever. Or enrichment but it should not be going to basic education so the kid in Bellevue who might be able to take you know maybe a third year ge uh, geometry or German class or or whatever we need we wanted first off we need to make sure that we define what basic education is and then look throughout the entire state and make sure that every child has that equal opportunity to get that basic education and that is not being filled backfilled by levy dollars that you might not be able to pass a levy in your area so you don't get that great basic education. No, we need to make sure that basic education in our state is uniform and that every child has the same opportunity. And I think we all, what's, what's interesting is in the room of negotiators, we all agree. So I, it's been really refreshing. I don't think there's anyone in the room, one, that doesn't want to put more money into education, and two, doesn't want to make sure that we have parity. Now, now it becomes a difficult time. We've discussed all the policy issues. We all agree on certain policy issues. Now, how are we going to fund it? And mm -hmm. we've started to have those dialogues. Um, and I think in this next week and a half to two weeks, we'll get it done. Realizing then this is, will be a radical change in the state. It'll take about a week to draft the bill to make sure it's right. Call the legislature back in. Got to vote on that bill. That puts us actually, if everything goes just right, that puts us at the end of June, which might even be a third session if you follow me for a week. I hope we get it done in time. So we will be done, we have to be done July 1st, right. and we have budgetary issues. So we will get done by the 1st of July. I'm very confident of that. But no government shutdown, No government shutdown, yeah. Okay. And so, um, but timing in and of itself, I mean, we, we need to have a conclusion in two weeks, a week to draft the bill, get the legislators back. It's not, and this is a big bill. This is a major change in the state. Well, a change, as I told a bunch of teachers the other day who's, thought to think that they wouldn't get to participate in this plan, I believe everybody in the state will have an opportunity to fund education a little differently. So I, I believe it's going to impact all of us. So what will happen, we will have, the bill will be done probably about a week and a half, maybe a week. We will take that bill, we will get it to certain school districts, Evergreen will probably take a look at it, Seattle will take a look at it. We'll have several districts weigh in to make sure that we've done what we thought we were going to do. Um, I think it would be disingenuous of us to just throw the bill out and say, oh, we're the smartest people in the room. We know we've got everything because we're not, and we make mistakes also. So I just want to make sure that we run it through their financial team, let them look at it, um, make sure that it meets the criteria, it does what we think it does, and then then it will go out for a vote. Yeah. And It'll be interesting to see if, if we have a referendum in it. I don't know that the people will have an opportunity to vote on it or not. I don't know. Because you but, might have some people in eastern Washington who who might like to have a say on whether their tax bill increases, I'm I, assuming. They might. That is very true. But sometimes we just need to govern. So it'll be interesting. I'm not sure if, if there'll be a vote of the people. There might be. One plan has it. One plan doesn't. To be honest with you, I'm not sure who's going to win that battle. I, I personally, I'm good either way. I think the voters in the in the 17th district sent me here to to, to make some difficult decisions. Um, I think in our in our district, though in our area, I think the levy swap will be neutral. Uh, I think it'll it won't affect us. Other than, I don't think our taxes will go up or down. I think it'll be more very neutral for us.
So I don't think it'll be a big deal. But in some areas, I think it's going to be a very big deal. We need to be cognizant of that. So, yeah. Well, so in the next two weeks, we could be having a very different discussion about McCleary, a lot more tangible things to be talking about. Absolutely. And I look forward to coming back and talking to you once, I guess, once the bill's drafted and it's out in the public and we can chat on what it really does and how it treats students. Great. So, yeah. Well, keep us posted. I will. All right. All right. Thank you so much for Absolutely. stopping by. Thank you for the invite. Really right. appreciate it. Thanks. Graduating high school is obviously a really unique point in your life. You're you're just beginning to step into the world as an adult and you have all these new thoughts that you're bringing to the world and you know you're really stepping into things I think for the first time in a lot of ways and we're going to bring you guys the voices of five graduating seniors this year um, and actually I'm sitting down now with one of my coworkers, Adam Lippman who worked on this project with Katie so Adam, remind me, we do this, we do a story every year, or is it a section every year about graduating students? We do uh, one sort of Sunday story every year, uh, right around the time where graduations are coming up, uh, where we look at a bunch of graduating seniors from around Clark County, mm -hmm. and we, we sort of just pick a different theme and reach out to all the districts and schools and see who, who what students sort of encapsulate what we're looking to uh, to discuss. The theme changes every year. So some years in the past recently, it's been just, you know, the best performing students in school, kind of the... The valedictorians, the salutatorians, those guys. Yeah, yeah. The ones who remind the teacher when they uh, forgot to give you the homework on a Friday. <laughs> those those students. And oh, they're, they're really the worst. The worst uh, in class. Studious. Yes. They're... <laughs> <laughs> the, that's a nicer way of putting it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, and so this year, when we uh, a few of us met to talk about uh, what our theme should be this year, we we decided to look at some students who were impressive. You know, not only in school but but out of school. And so our theme this year was uh, uh, ac student activists and advocates. So those students who you know, get out there and, and are making a difference for the world and are, are speaking up for groups that maybe, you know, we don't hear from enough or mm -hmm. who who are, you know, in, in need of some more people speaking out uh, uh, for them. So what got you guys going down this road? What, what, what made you decide that activists was the appropriate theme? Uh, well, well, Katie is our education reporter and I cover small cities, so I cover some schools too. And, and I think we both noticed this year it felt like we both did a couple stories about students who just seem very much uh, more kind of in tune with the outside world beyond school than you, you typically think of kids uh, being. And, you know, whether that's because of, you know, like current political climate or whether that's because of, you know, cell phones and 24-hour news and it's kind of inescapable to, to um, or it's, it's, you know, hard to just sort of not focus on the news it's everywhere all the time totally totally and, and the world we, is very interconnected and very loud right now <laughs> it is yeah for a whole bunch of reasons yeah so i think we should probably also clarify as well that i feel like the term activist has like so many other perfectly neutral words has become kind of a loaded phrase to mean one specific kind of person and but you guys didn't just focus on like some like liberal activist or leftist kids or something like that right no we we i guess you, you know uh there are some kids where where you'll hear their stories it could be political in one way or the other or it is political, but we, we really tried to find a wide range of causes that these students were taking up. And yeah, we, we didn't want to go out and just try to find a bunch of students who were, you know, marching for or against any sort of politician or, or mm -hmm. political cause. We, we tried to, yeah, just find stuff students were passionate about. And I think we, we came up with a pretty good range. I hope we did. Gotcha. So... We don't hear the names of these students in the introduction, right? But so tell us who we're in order, if you can tell us who we're going to be hearing from. Sure, we've got five students. So the the first one is a, uh, a graduating senior from Heritage High School. Her name is her, his name, excuse me, is Ernesto Zarita, and uh, his story a little bit is uh, his family. Uh, came over from Mexico when he was younger. He actually just became a, a United States citizen pretty recently. And he's done a lot of work uh, about immigration-related issues and uh, environmental issues, which, which you might be interested in. He and uh, 
one of the groups he works for have been pretty uh, vocal speaking out against the oil terminal over here, actually. Interesting. Yeah. Then next up we have Lauren Rath. She's a uh, Hawkinson High School senior. And uh, her story, she, she her activism is, uh, you'll hear her say, it's kind of on an individual level. And she was someone who was bullied in middle school quite a bit and led her to have these sort of, you know, uh, very negative thoughts of herself and uh, once she was able to start coming out of that around freshman year high school she noticed a lot of her friends or other students in that sort of funk and you know maybe isolating themselves or, or harming themselves in one way or another and hmm. she would just start going up to people and, and saying like hey you know let's talk I'm, I'm her friend I'm here for you you know I she'd connect kids to adults if they needed it she'd introduce wow. them to her friends she was just trying to you know, let these kids know someone cares and, and that's she, powerful. Yeah. She has a really great story. Then after that, we have a senior from the Vancouver School of Arts and Academics whose name is uh, Isabel Barayuda, uh, Bar 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 I'm going to say. I'm sorry, Isabel, if that is way off. Um, but what she did is she kind of took over her school's caring closet, which was like their resource center where students could go to get food, clothes, all sorts of stuff. It was, uh, she noticed it was just a little lacking at VSAA and she, as What's a, VSAA? Mm -hmm. and what is that? Oh, the, the Vancouver School of Arts and Academics. Oh, okay. And gotcha. so she, uh, she, as a junior started, like got it, took an interest in it, took over it, um, started promoting it more, collecting donations, letting kids know that it's available. And then she's continued doing that work this year. And if she sees a student at lunch who's not eating, she'll, you know, bring her, her bring him or her onto the, uh, to the caring closet and just sort of help them pick out some food, whatever's around. Um, then after that, we have uh, Natasha Stout from Ridgefield High School. And she uh, is an art student who, who uses her artwork to uh, kind of force people to look at issues that maybe are uncomfortable to, to look at or think about. And she, she does it in a very confrontational sort of art style where um, it's just sort of your classic portrait, shoulders up with the, the face in it. It'll be, she did work this year about like uh, transgender hate crimes and rape and uh, uh, kids in the Middle East and, and she just has these very sort of vibrant almost like brutal art pieces where she just says you know this is going on you know it's up to you look to at it right exactly mm -hmm. um, and lastly we have Maggie Arnold from Prairie High School and she does a lot of work with kids through her her local church she she leads two youth groups through church and she's just taken on this role as, as kind of mentor to a lot of young girls uh, in her uh, her church at Vancouver, and she wants to sort of continue that by going into nursing once she's uh, out of college. Wow, man, these kids make me wonder what was I doing with myself when I was like eighteen. Right? Yeah. When Good I was Lord, <laughs> when I was eighteen, I think I was most excited that I could buy like scratch off tickets legally. <laughs> that's kind of where I was at. Well, that's a big deal. Right? Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Right. It goes oppose oil terminal. Most important thing you could do: buy scratch off tickets second most important thing you can yeah, do with your time. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you can win some money. What's the most you've won on a scratch ticket? Uh, I'm going to say enough to buy two or three more scratch-off tickets, and that's about it. Like two or three bucks? I'd call that a push. <laughs> I'd call that a push. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, huh. Yeah. Well, I am, let's play those guys. I am very much looking forward to uh, what they have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thanks, man. Thank you. I've been involved with immigrants and refugee rights uh, since 2009, and so uh, I started doing work through One America. It's a uh, nonprofit organization based in Seattle, Washington, where um, they work to advance human and civil rights for immigrant and refugee communities. And so through th through them, um, I've been able to kind of expand my knowledge on uh, immigration policies and as well as local politics. Here in Vancouver, I um, work with uh, other community members to kind of bring awareness to uh, the positive impacts of, immig of immigrants here in the community, and as well as uh, giving awareness to the many problems faced by Im immigrant communities. Mm -hmm. And so we conduct these uh, monthly um, community meetings where we invite people to come attend and 
learn things, uh, learn facts about um, immigrant communities and what issues are affecting us. And then as well as uh, look recently with the new political climate going on, we've, we've uh, been trying to inform people about rights that everyone has regardless of your immigration status. We've been focusing a lot on know your rights. So, because um, there's a lot of fear in, in immigrant communities on like what's going to happen with uh, new policies and what the executive order Trump's is doing. And, it, and it's not just the policies that are affecting immigrant communities, there's also been an uh, increase in, uh, in, in hatred language against immigrants and refugees, and so that, that makes them uh, more afraid as well. Um, so for example, here locally, we've been hearing some families talk about um, increased bullying in school because of the political climate going on. And so that's why we've been, we've been holding these Know Your, Works, uh, know Your Rights workshops so we can get um, more community awareness on this. We've also been focusing a lot on environmental policies since um, uh, we've been involved with the Tesoro Savage Terminal near Vancouver um, since it is, um, there was a study done by University of Washington that found that uh, communities of low income and color are the ones most affected by pollution and yeah. all these contamination. And so that's why we've been fighting against the Soros Savage Terminal here in Vancouver. I probably wouldn't have found myself doing this if I couldn't relate to this. So um, I got involved with immigration because I'm an immigrant and I'm surrounded by lots of individuals who immigrated from different, from various locations other than Mexico. I know some that are from Guatemala, some that are from Middle East, some, even one that is from Africa. And so I'm aware of all of the discrimination that goes on. In fact, my family has faced, faced uh, racist discrimination as well, and so I know other friends that have as well. And so that's why the fact that I can relate to this brought me involved into this. And um, with environmental uh, policy, it's also that fact that communities of color are the ones that are most affected by this. And so I felt that I have to do something for them. We've been focusing a lot on the Fruit Valley community um, and different communities near railroads. So um, thanks to uh, the environmental groups, I've been able to learn a lot about uh, the, the uh, problems that affect them. And so the main concern is air pollution. So the trains that carry, the, that will bring in the, um, the crude oil and Bakken um, crude oil uh, from North Dakota are usually t typically tend to be diesel trains and uh, these diesel trains are known to emit um, pollutants that cause asthma, cause uh, other respiratory uh, problems, cardiovascular diseases, uh, and even lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And then with the with oil terminals and refineries as well, they emit um, volatile organic compounds and other similar chemicals that affect uh, respiratory health. My activism is individual um, and just on a individual person-to-person -person relationship level. Um, it just involves a lot of when I see someone struggling, just being able to go over and talk to them and make sure that they at least have someone in their life that they feel comfortable talking to. Um, and I mean, a lot of times it means getting them connected to an adult where sometimes me, a literal child, cannot do anything else for that person. Um, and just to make sure that like everyone's safe and, and um, a lot of, or really all that I can do as a friend is to make sure that I can support them wherever they need to be. And um, just being able to pick out who's struggling and go to them and help them. The main thing is really just sitting there and talking to them and saying, um, you have a friend and you have someone you can talk to and sometimes that's all it takes especially for a kid and and I know this all too well is just feeling like there's no one in this entire world that wants to talk to me there's no one here that cares about me and that just makes the cycle worse and worse um, and so just being able to show a person that okay at least one person cares about you like is a huge thing even if it doesn't feel huge to them in the moment um, it makes a huge impact later down the line um, and a lot of times I've tried to pull people into different clubs I've pulled people in I've pulled um, a few people into just come hang out with the with the band geeks like they're weird but you'll love them or, or with the drama geeks or um, a couple of my friends who I, I don't necessarily know if they were going through 
um, anything, any bullying or, or depression or anything, but I picked them out as freshmen. I mean, I was a sophomore and now we're best friends, but um, just seeing them really secluding themselves and pulling themselves away can just be the start of, a, of that cycle. And so immediately I was like, okay, you're going to be friends with me whether you want to or not, you know, and it's sometimes as simple as that is like making that commitment to a person. I came out of a pretty bad bullying situation in middle school. Um, and I mean, I started my freshman year just feeling really crummy and um, just like not thinking much of myself. And um, I was in this really bad cycle of negative self-talk, you know, so I mean, one thing happens and it ruins your entire day. Um, and so coming out of um, middle school and starting in a new place with a clean slate was so helpful. Um, and then being able to kind of come out of that a little bit and then look back and see people that were still there, um, people who I could tell were having those negative self-talk or were telling themselves that or, or who were cutting themselves or who weren't eating and, and being able to kind of see and recognize that and kind of be able to know that like, I know what you're, I know what's happening in your head right now and being able to meet them there um, and help them connect them with adult and just connect them with one friend or a group of friends is super important. Instead of a family community resource center um, that, you know, Fort Vancouver has and Hudson's Bay has and um, Skyview and, and all the bigger schools mm -hmm. um, have installed from the district that have staff members on site um, all the time to give kids help with, um, you know, any type of counseling or um, any sort of resources like clothing, food, snacks, um, emergency housing even, um, grocery gift cards, etc., etc. Um, and last year for my junior project, I, I realized that we didn't have any sort of resource, resource like that. Um, I know that um, administration knows those students who are in need mm -hmm. um, and they're connected with them but sometimes you know financially it'll, it'll just be a couple months where times are really really hard and trying to get meals on the table is a lot harder for bigger families especially um, and I wanted to make sure that all the students who you know need any sort of help whether that be permanently or semi-permanently did have those resources. My first step for this was to really try and get um, try and get the school aware of what the caring closet was. Um, not many people knew about it. Not even some of the staff members. As you know, and and being that the teachers kind of see one on one with the kids, you know what their needs are. Maybe um, I definitely wanted to get the word out and kind of publicize it a little bit. Um, so we actually were able to this year, during our big welcome back to school assembly, we um, announced that we do have the caring closet as a resource, and it's always in the in the bulletin for the parents um, looking for donations, um, you know, things like that. So really, my my job is to kind of when we do get donations, put them all in the cabinets that are um, that we have for those kiddos and um, to try and maintain as much as possible. Um, if I see they were running out of like plastic silverware, then I'll go pick some up or, you know, maybe bring some from home if I have a box left over from a party or, um, you know, things like that. I decided that I wanted to kind of take that and make that my baby and um, really nurture it to the best of my ability and fill it with the resources that students do need. Um, you know, school supplies, uh, grocery gift cards, uh, toiletries, um, clothing. Why I asked people around if they had any other clothes that they could donate. I wanted to make sure that um, VSA had something like that, where the students knew about it and they didn't feel embarrassed that they, you know, might have to go there. Um, you know, VSA is, is such a loving community, and. Uh, right when you walk into those doors, you feel the difference of community and, you know, people really being there for one another. And that's not like a lot of schools, um, you know, regular public schools. So I wanted to make sure that we continued with that trend and really, really reached out to those kiddos who do need it. Um, who need a little extra love and a little extra 
you know, help in hand. When kids don't have lunch at school and I, you know, kind of, kind of am in the know, I might not know the kid very well, but you can kind of see that they haven't really had anything or, um, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. I always make sure to take them down there just because, just to get a snack or something, you know, an apple maybe. Um, you know, whatever, whatever we have left down there. Um, just because it, you know, it's brain food. You can't do your best work unless, you know, you're taking the best care of yourself. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love VSA. <laughs> we have to have a certain number of pieces by the end of the year. And I would write down things that I, you know, wanted to talk about. Like sometimes things I felt very passionately about or maybe something that people didn't really know about and I just wanted to raise awareness to. Um, so I would make a list and kind of go off of what like I felt most passionate about and I would kind of paint that first and just kind of go for it. I can, you know, talk about you know things that maybe people aren't talking about that should be talked about. And so I started to do that in all my work and it was this year where I was I felt that I had a lot of things to say. My objective was really to write about things that people tend to whisper you know, behind closed doors, and I think that it's important to draw attention to them. Most of the time, people, when they see something wrong in society or going on around us, they feel uncomfortable and they just wait for someone to fix it instead of them because they don't know, maybe they're not brave enough or they just like feel maybe it's not their place. Mrs. Hood and Pyle, whenever we did portraits in school and we did the portraits of people facing forward from just like the shoulders up, she always said that we can't do that because that's just kind of what you're taught in grade school. And the one thing that when I started doing that, I was like, oh no, I hope she's not gonna be mad at me because my objective of getting people to my portraits of just facing forward and just staring forward um, with just like the expression in their faces or their eyes, which is something that I definitely focus on as well. Um, it's to definitely confront people um, because they can't really look anywhere else because these people are staring straight at them. And I think I like it because it gets the most reaction out of people. Um, and I think it makes people think, um, whether it's like think that they want to get away or you know maybe think about what this piece is about you know <laughs> on the occasion that people don't immediately walk away <laughs> the first piece that i did this year though was the one that's in the capitol building and it's about uh children in the black community and that one was after you know kind of um the black lives matter movement started getting really big and um there was a young girl who spoke um front of all these people about how they need their parents and how like what's going on and it was I remember it was a very moving video and it made me think about not maybe what always the adults are going through but what the children are and so that's what kind of started that piece. I'd say one of my favorite ones um, is the one about transgender hate crimes because I think of not only the way that I painted the, um, the woman but the colors that I use because she's very she's pale with blonde hair and green eyes but I did really strong bruising all over and stitches and I did the same thing with my piece about rape but those were cooler colors so it kind of blended a little bit but I'd say that the piece about transgender hate crimes was probably one of the ones that catches my attention the most just because of how bright it is and so you have to look at it and just the expression in her face it's helped me understand other people's perspectives and also kind of gain sort of, um, I don't know, just gain like a, a hope that all of us can, you know, fix what's going on. And I think that I've just grown more, not, I, you would think that I would grow more like cynical about what was going on, but I think I've just grown more like hopeful and uh, positive because I see change and I just want more. It's basically doing church and that involves doing life together. So we'll do, you know, different church events like sometimes, especially during summer, we'll have barbecues or we'll have for youth group different nights like Rock Your School Night or Neon Night. Um, recently we had a light up the night. Um, and it's just different events like that where um, the girls that I lead can bring their friends and 
it's it's a little more chill environment but um, basically just what we do is we fellowship we talk about Jesus we talk about life and um, where they're at how they're doing the first is children so elementary ages and that's normally on Sundays that I'll do that but then we have different camps during summer that I also volunteer at and then um, the other age group is junior hires so that's on Sundays as well, but I normally serve on Wednesday nights and I have a small group that I lead, co-lead. It's really important for kids especially to have a safe place um, where they feel loved, where they feel accepted, and there's no judgment. And um, for me personally, that's always been church. Church, church is my safe place. Um, I have relationships there that I believe I'll have for the rest of my life. And people have, you know, it takes a community to raise a child. And I think that church, for me at least, has been a huge part of, you know, my upbringing and raising me. Um, and so just through my own experience, I, I've realized how important it is to have that, that base of um, people who believe in you, people who um, are there to pray for you and talk about whatever you're going through um, and really I've just always had a heart for kids and where they're at and so me being able to um, just be in relationship with them it's it's refreshing for me and it's um, it's kind of my way of giving back I guess to them I plan on always you know serving my church and probably in children's ministry, um, just because that's where my heart is. But I want to go into nursing. Um, I specifically want to go into either pediatrics or neonatal nursing. Um, and I believe through my work of helping and you know providing care, I can share that safe place, and I can bring um, a peace into the room because I have Jesus. All right, so now uh, the sunshine is here, the weather is finally looking up, and we are, you guys are getting this just in time to figure out what you're gonna be doing this weekend, and who better to tell us than the mighty Ashley Swanson. Yes. So, um, I heard a little bit of your list just a few minutes ago, and it sounds like there is a ton of things that you can make happen this weekend. There is always good stuff happening in Clark County, uh, starting with the big paddle festival out in Ridgefield this uh -huh. Saturday. So it Saturday is National Trails Day, day so it's just a good day to be outdoors in general right? because um, state parks will be free, so if you want to go hiking. But what Ridgefield does is kind of acknowledge that waterways are also trails mm -hmm. um, as long as you have a canoe or kayak so the day is devoted to interpretive paddles um, celebrating the connections of culture ecology um, just being outdoors um, the uh, Chinook tribe comes and participates they do an opening drum ceremony at 9 a.m. Oh, cool. um, they do two paddles one in the morning and one in the e uh, afternoon so they just if you want to participate you can rent a kayak or you can bring your own just make sure you register before Hand. It's about $25. If you don't want to go out on the water, there's going to be a ton of um, things to do on land, including a scavenger hunt, an obstacle course. Um, the day will end around 4.30 with s'mores and bonfires. And it starts like what, 7 a.m. with pancakes? Yeah, and it all takes place near the port of uh, Ridgefield on the waterfront, so it, it's a good Perfect. day to be out. Mm -hmm. And then uh, continuing the community celebrations, uh, Hawkinson will be having their fun days uh, Friday and Saturday. Friday night from about 6 to 9 p.m. will be a bingo night at the high school. And then Saturdays when like the bulk of the festivities happen, we're talking pancake breakfast at 7 a.m., uh, carnivals, uh, car cruisings, a parade at noon along um, the main drag of Hawkinson near the high school. Uh, just a big kind of community shindig. Good old country time. Yeah. Sounds fun. So if, if you're out in the area, it's a great way to meet your neighbors. And that's a two-day thing, right? Friday night and Saturday mm -hmm. day? Yeah. So Saturday goes from about 7 a.m. To, to 4 p.m. So wow. lots of things to do. Perfect. And then I don't know if you've ever heard of the Camtown Youth Festival. 
Um, I hadn't until just a couple minutes ago. <laughs> but <laughs> What's the Camtown Youth Festival? It is a festival for kids by kids that's put on by the Camas uh, Parks and Rec Department in Crown Park on Saturday. So from 11 to 4 p.m., there will be a bunch of activities, uh, entertainers, musicians, um, organizations showing off, bouncy houses, art shows. Um, and it's all run by kids. Yeah, it's for basically if you're if you're younger than 16 check it out it's all free which is also really awesome they even have a, a kids flea market so kids selling crafts or old toys man nothing beats a toy swap me <laughs> exactly <That's> awesome <laughs> yeah so it's it's pretty fun um and then there's also the uh starlight parade over in portland as part of the ongoing portland uh, rose festival and that's um 8 30 to 11 saturday 8 30 11 at night oh yeah it's a that's night right. festival okay. everything's lit up with lights and glow sticks and um it's a silly parade the grand marshal this year is an elvis impersonator He's going to be a glowing Elvis. Yeah. That's awesome. They are, they're also celebrating the 40th year of the parade, so that's really cool as well. And then if you don't want to you know, drive to Portland, it, it will be broadcast on Fox 12 at 9 a, uh, p.m. So you can try to spot the different Clark County and Vancouver community groups, marching bands, and other, other people who participate. Awesome. That sounds like it'll be a ton of fun. Rose Fest is just nuts. I mean that in the best way possible, mm -hmm. too, but holy moly. Yeah, it's it's always it stretches out for a long time and and gives people a chance to participate however they want to. So mm -hmm. it really kicks off the summer. Uh, also, over in Washougal, uh, fifty four forty Brewing Company will be hosting an Outlaw Fest, and they've basically brought in two uh, what sounds like country music bands, including a band called the Oregon Trailers, and they'll be performing. Uh, from noon to 10 p.m. on Saturday, but it's a it's a benefit too for the Camas Washougal uh, community chest. So they they're just asking for a five dollar donation to go. You can drink beer. You can dunk the brewers. They're hosting that event, um, and it's family friendly as well. So it's it's definitely you know if you're just looking for a place to hang out with friends and family um, and help support a local cause, that's happening as well. Awesome. And finally, we'll wrap it up with The Hobbit. <laughs> um, the Metropolitan Performing Arts Academy of Vancouver will be doing a production um, adapting the story of Bilbo Baggins. Um, he gets into a mess with some wizards and some dwarves and yeah, a ring. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've seen some stuff. <laughs> I've played the pinball game a few times. So they'll be doing a production um, at the Brunish Theater in Portland starting on Friday. Man, going across the river to perform, huh? Mm -hmm. This is tr truly a cultural exchange it that is. we are about to have on our hands. Yeah. A nerdy one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tickets are $12. Uh, the production runs through next weekend. Um, so, yeah, if you want an excuse to kind of introduce young people to theater arts, this might be a good shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you said this a little bit ago, but a story that they'll definitely be familiar with and hopefully excited about and hopefully not disappointed that the, uh, I'm sure this is a great stage production, but probably not the caliber of a you know multi-million dollar Hollywood movie no but it is um, you know enthusiastic people uh, especially young people and the costumes look really fun do they oh yeah oh cool really fun uh, lots of fake beards which is great nice, nice. <laughs> so yeah there's a lot of options mm -hmm. and as always there is always more to do every weekend check it out in the newspaper mm -hmm. every Friday hit the weekend section mm-hmm yeah which is a great section, I have to say. Um, well, any particular highlight? Anything that this weekend that you're looking forward to doing? You always ask me this, and I, I always bring I you the hear best the things. I want the top choice. I want to know if I were going to go to one of these events, which one I would most likely to be seeing Ashley Swanson at. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm everywhere, but... It's true. I know you are a lady about the town. It's true, but I know particularly you would like the 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 big paddle festival because that's that's up your alley. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, uh, thanks a lot, and I will look forward to hearing more about these next week. See you then. See ya. All right, that's a show. I think I can call that a podcast. 
Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I really appreciate all the listeners that have been checking us out, all the old ones that have been with us since the earlier days, and all you new ones that have come along recently. I don't know about you, but I actually really enjoyed listening to what those, uh, what all those young people had to say about the things that they're doing in their lives and the things that inspire them and the causes that they care about. If that interested you too, I would really recommend checking out a documentary called Up. It's a British documentary that follows people from the time they're seven to the time they're 14, then 21, 28, um, 35, 42, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, and it checks in with them all across their lives to see, you know, sort of follow them to see where they're at and where they've been and where they're going. It's really fantastically well done and literally has taken decades to produce. And that is a British documentary series. But if you're looking for something a little more America-oriented, um, there's also 21 Up in America. And its predecessors were 14 Up in America and then Age 7 in America. And they kind of follow the same premise of the British documentary. They follow young people from all sorts of these socioeconomic spans and just talk to them about their lives and who they are and what makes them tick and where they hope to go. And... They do a very good job capturing the lives of, you know, our fellow citizens. So worth a watch if you need something to do. Anyway, if you want to hear more of Clark Talks, which I hope you do, you can find us very easily. Our podcast comes out every Wednesday night slash Thursday morning, and you can find it on the Columbians website, and you can also subscribe to it at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Feel free to reach out to Katie or myself. Our contact information is available on the website, or we are both on Twitter, and also our uh, email addresses are at the bottom of just about every story we produce. So we're out there. Uh, also, you can feel free to email podcasts at columbian.com. And I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah.